0: CHAPTER One OF ASTORIA, OR ANECDOTES OF AN ENTERPRISE BEYOND THE ROCKY MOUNTAINS, BY WASHINGTON IRVING. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. OBJECTS OF AMERICAN ENTERPRISE. GOLD-HUNTING AND FUR-TRADING. THEIR EFFECT ON COLONIZATION. EARLY FRENCH-CANADIAN SETTLERS. OTTAWA AND HURON HUNTERS. AN INDIAN TRADING CAMP. Couriers DE BOIS. OR RANGERS OF THE WOODS. THEIR ROAMING LIFE their revels and excesses licensed traders missionaries trading posts primitive french canadian merchant his establishment and dependents british canadian fur merchant origin of the northwest company its constitution its internal trade a candidate for the company privations in the wilderness northwest clerks northwest partners northwest nabobs feudal notions in the forests the lords of the lakes fort william its parliamentary hall and banqueting room while sailing in the wilderness two leading objects of commercial gain have given birth to wide and daring enterprise in the early history of the americas the precious metals of the south and the rich peltries of the north while the fiery and magnificent spaniard inflamed with the mania for gold has extended his discoveries and conquests over those brilliant countries scorched by the ardent sun of the tropics the adroit and buoyant frenchman and the cool and calculating britain have pursued the less splendid but no less lucrative traffic in furs amidst the hyperborean regions of the canadas until they have advanced even within the arctic circle these two pursuits have thus in a manner been the pioneers and precursors of civilization without pausing on the borders they have penetrated at once in defiance of difficulties and dangers to the heart of savage countries laying open the hidden secrets of the wilderness leading the way to remote regions of beauty and fertility that might have remained unexplored for ages and beckoning after them the slow and pausing steps of agriculture and civilization it was the fur trade in fact which gave early sustenance and vitality to the great canadian provinces being destitute of the precious metals at that time the leading objects of american enterprise they were long neglected by the parent country the french adventurers however who had settled on the banks of the st lawrence soon found that in the rich peltries of the interior they had sources of wealth that might almost rival the mines of mexico and peru the indians as yet unacquainted with the artificial value given to some descriptions of furs in civilized life brought quantities of the most precious kinds and bartered them away for european trinkets and cheap commodities immense profits were thus made by the early traders and the traffic was pursued with avidity as the valuable furs soon became scarce in the neighborhood of the settlements the indians of the vicinity were stimulated to take a wider range in their hunting expeditions they were generally accompanied on these expeditions by some of the traders or their dependents who shared in the toils and perils of the chase and at the same time made themselves acquainted with the best hunting and trapping grounds and with the remote tribes whom they encouraged to bring their peltries to the settlements in this way the trade augmented and was drawn from remote quarters to montreal every now and then a large body of ottawas hurons and other tribes who hunted the countries bordering on the great lakes would come down in a squadron of light canoes, laden with beaver skins, and other spoils of their years hunting. The canoes would be unladen, taken on shore, and their contents disposed in order. A camp of birch bark would be pitched outside of the town, and a kind of primitive fair opened, with that grave ceremonial so dear to the Indians. An audience would be demanded of the Governor-General, who would hold the conference with becoming state seated in an elbow-chair with the indians ranged in semicircles before him seated on the ground and silently smoking their pipes speeches would be made presents exchanged and the audience would break up in universal good-humor now would ensue a brisk traffic with the merchants and all Montreal would be alive, with naked Indians running from shop to shop, bargaining for arms, kettles, knives, axes, blankets, bright-colored cloths, and other articles of use or fancy, upon all which, says an old French writer, the merchants were sure to clear at least two hundred percent. There was no money used in this traffic, and after a time all payment in spirituous liquors was prohibited, in consequence of the frantic and frightful excesses and bloody brawls which they were apt to occasion. Their wants and caprices being supplied, they would take leave of the governor, strike their tents, launch their canoes, and ply their way up the Ottawa to the lakes. A new and anomalous class of men gradually grew out of this trade— these were called coureurs des bois rangers of the woods originally men who had accompanied the indians in their hunting expeditions and made themselves acquainted with remote tracts and tribes and who now became as it were peddlers of the wilderness these men would set out from montreal with canoes well stocked with goods with arms and ammunition And would make their way up the mazy and wandering rivers that interlace the vast forests of the Canadas, coasting the most remote lakes, and creating new wants and habitudes among the natives. Sometimes they sojourned for months among them, assimilating to their tastes and habits with the happy facility of Frenchmen, adopting in some degree the Indian dress, and not unfrequently taking to themselves Indian wives twelve fifteen eighteen months would often elapse without any tidings of them when they would come sweeping their way down the ottawa in full glee their canoes laden down with packs of beaver skins now came their turn for revelry and extravagance you would be amazed says an old writer already quoted if you saw how lewd these peddlers are when they return how they feast and game and how prodigal they are, not only in their clothes, but upon their sweethearts. Such of them as are married have the wisdom to retire to their own houses, but the bachelors act just as an East India man and pirates are wont to do, for they lavish, eat, drink, and play all away, as long as the goods hold out. And when these are gone, they even sell their embroidery their lace, and their clothes. This done, they are forced upon a new voyage for subsistence. Many of these couriers de bois became so accustomed to the Indian mode of living, and the perfect freedom of the wilderness, that they lost relish for civilization, and identified themselves with the savages among whom they dwelt, or could only be distinguished from them by superior licentiousness their conduct and example gradually corrupted the natives and impeded the works of the catholic missionaries who were at this time prosecuting their pious labors in the wilds of canada to check these abuses and to protect the fur trade from various irregularities practised by these loose adventurers an order was issued by the french government prohibiting all persons on pain of death from trading into the interior of the country without a license these licenses were granted in writing by the governor-general and at first were given only to persons of respectability to gentlemen of broken fortunes to old officers of the army who had families to provide for or to their widows Each license permitted the fitting out of two large canoes with merchandise for the lakes, and no more than twenty-five licenses were to be issued in one year. By degrees, however, private licenses were also granted, and the number rapidly increased. Those who did not choose to fit out the expeditions themselves were permitted to sell them to the merchants. These employed the couriers des bois, or rangers of the woods, to undertake the long voyages on shares, and thus (laughs) the abuses of the old system were revived and continued. The pious missionaries employed by the Roman Catholic Church to convert the Indians did everything in their power to counteract the profligacy caused and propagated by these men in the heart of the wilderness the catholic chapel might often be seen planted beside the trading house and its spire surmounted by a cross towering from the midst of an indian village on the banks of a river or a lake the missions had often a beneficial effect on the simple sons of the forest but had little power over the renegades from civilization At length it was found necessary to establish fortified posts at the confluence of the rivers and the lakes for the protection of the trade and the restraint of these profligates of the wilderness. The most important of these was at Mickelemackinac, situated at the strait of the same name, which connects Lakes Huron and Michigan. It became the great interior mart and place of deposit, and some of the regular merchants who prosecuted the trade in person under their licenses formed establishments here. This, too, was a rendezvous for the rangers of the woods, as well those who came up with goods from Montreal, as those who returned with peltries from the interior. Here new expeditions were fitted out and took their departure for Lake Michigan and the Mississippi, Lake Superior, and the Northwest— and here the peltries brought in return were embarked for Montreal. The French merchant at his trading post, in these primitive days of Canada, was a kind of commercial patriarch. With the lax habits and easy familiarity of his race, he had a little world of self-indulgence and misrule around him. He had his clerks, canoe men, and retainers of all kinds, who lived with him on terms of perfect sociability always calling him by his christian name he had his harem of indian beauties and his troop of half-breed children nor was there ever wanting a louting train of indians hanging about the establishment eating and drinking at his expense in the intervals of their hunting expeditions the Canadian traders for a long time had troublesome competitors in the British merchants of New York, who inveigled the Indian hunters and the couriers des bois to their posts and traded with them on more favorable terms. A still more formidable opposition was organized in the Hudson's Bay Company, chartered by Charles II in 1670 with the exclusive privilege of establishing trading houses on the shores of that bay, and its tributary rivers, a privilege which they have maintained to the present day. Between this British company and the French merchants of Canada, feuds and contests arose about alleged infringements of territorial limits, and acts of violence and bloodshed occurred between their agents in seventeen sixty two the french lost possession of canada and the trade fell principally into the hands of british subjects for a time however it shrunk within narrow limits the old couriers des bois were broken up and dispersed or where they could be met with were slow to accustom themselves to the habits and manners of their british employers they missed the freedom indulgence, and familiarity of the old French trading-houses, and did not relish the sober exactness, reserve, and method of the newcomers. The British traders, too, were ignorant of the country, and distrustful of the natives. They had reason to be so. The treacherous and bloody affairs of Detroit and Michilimackinac showed them the lurking hostility cherished by the savages who had too long been taught by the french to regard them as enemies it was not until the year seventeen sixty six that the trade regained its old channels but it was then pursued with much avidity and emulation by individual merchants and soon transcended its former bounds expeditions were fitted out by various persons from montreal and Michilimackinac, and rival ships and jealousies of course ensued the trade was injured by their artifices to outbid and undermine each other the indians were debauched by the sale of spirituous liquors which had been prohibited under the french rule scenes of drunkenness brutality and brawl were the consequence in the indian villages and around the trading houses while bloody feuds took place between rival trading parties when they happened to encounter each other in the lawless depths of the wilderness to put an end to these sordid and ruinous contentions several of the principal merchants of montreal entered into a partnership in the winter of seventeen eighty three Which was augmented by amalgamation with a rival company in 1787. Thus was created the famous Northwest Company, which for a time held a lordly sway over the wintry lakes and boundless forests of the Canadas, almost equal to that of the East India Company over the voluptuous climes and magnificent realms of the Orient. The company consisted of 23 shareholders, or partners, but held in its employ about 2,000 persons, as clerks, guides, interpreters, and voyageurs, or boatmen. These were distributed at various trading posts, established far and wide on the interior lakes and rivers, at immense distances from each other, and in the heart of trackless countries and savage tribes, Several of the partners resided in Montreal and Quebec to manage the main concerns of the company. These were called agents and were personages of great weight and importance. The other partners took their stations at the interior posts, where they remained throughout the winter to superintend the intercourse with the various tribes of Indians. They were thence called wintering partners the goods destined for this wide and wandering traffic were put up at the warehouses of the company in montreal and conveyed in bateaux or boats and canoes up the river ottawa or ottawa which falls into the st lawrence near montreal and by other rivers and portages to lake nipissing lake huron lake superior and thence by several chains of great and small lakes to lake winnipeg lake athabasca and the great slave lake. This singular and beautiful system of internal seas, which renders an immense region of wilderness so accessible to the frail bark of the Indian or the trader, was studded by the remote posts of the company, where they carried on their traffic with the surrounding tribes. The company, as we have shown, was at first a spontaneous association of merchants. But, after it had been regularly organized, admission into it became extremely difficult. A candidate had to enter, as it were, before the mast, to undergo a long probation, and to rise slowly by his merits and services. He began at an early age as a clerk, and served an apprenticeship of seven years, for which he received 100 pounds sterling was maintained at the expense of the company, and furnished with suitable clothing and equipments. His probation was generally passed at the interior trading posts, removed for years from civilized society, leading a life almost as wild and precarious as the savages around him, exposed to the severities of a northern winter, often suffering from a scarcity of food, and sometimes destitute for a long time, of both bread and salt. When his apprenticeship had expired, he received a salary according to his deserts, varying from eighty to one hundred and sixty pounds sterling, and was now eligible to the great object of his ambition, a partnership in the company, though years might yet elapse before he attained to that enviable station." Most of the clerks were young men of good families, from the highlands of Scotland, characterized by the perseverance, thrift, and fidelity of their country, and fitted by their native hardihood to encounter the rigorous climate of the north, and to endure the trials and privations of their lot, though it must not be concealed that the constitutions of many of them became impaired by the hardships of the wilderness, and their stomachs injured by occasional famishing, and especially by the want of bread and salt. Now and then, at an interval of years, they were permitted to come down on a visit to the establishment at Montreal to recruit their health and to have a taste of civilized life, and these were brilliant spots in their existence. As to the principal partners, or agents, who resided in Montreal and Quebec, they formed a kind of commercial aristocracy living in lordly and hospitable style their posts and the pleasures dangers adventures and mishaps which they had shared together in their wild wood life had linked them heartily to each other so that they formed a convivial fraternity few travellers that have visited canada some 30 years since in the days of the metavishes the macgillivrays the mackenzies the frobishers and the other magnates of the northwest when the company was in all its glory but must remember the round of feasting and revelry kept up among these hyperborean nabobs sometimes one or two partners recently from the interior posts would make their appearance in new york in the course of a tour of pleasure and curiosity on these occasions there was a degree of magnificence of the purse about them and a peculiar propensity to expenditure at the goldsmiths and jewellers for rings chains brooches necklaces jewelled watches and other rich trinkets partly for their own wear partly for presents to their female acquaintances a gorgeous prodigality such as was often to be noticed in former times in southern planters and west india creoles when flush with the profits of their plantations to behold the Northwest company in all its state and grandeur however it was necessary to witness an annual gathering of the great interior place of conference established at fort william Near what is called the Grand Portage on Lake Superior. Here, two or three of the leading partners from Montreal proceeded once a year to meet the partners from the various trading posts of the wilderness, to discuss the affairs of the company during the preceding year, and to arrange plans for the future. On these occasions might be seen the change since the unceremonious times of the old French traders now the aristocratic character of the Briton shone forth magnificently or rather the feudal spirit of the highlander every partner who had charge of an interior post and a score of retainers at his command felt like the chieftain of a highland clan and was almost as important in the eyes of his dependents as of himself to him a visit to the grand conference at fort william was a most important event and he repaired there as to a meeting of parliament the partners from montreal however were the lords of the ascendant coming from the midst of luxurious and ostentatious life they quite eclipsed their compeers from the woods whose forms and faces had been battered and hardened by hard living and hard service and whose garments and equipments were all the worse for wear. Indeed, the partners from below considered the whole dignity of the company as represented in their persons, and conducted themselves in suitable style. They ascended the rivers in great state, like sovereigns making a progress, or rather like highland chieftains navigating their subject lakes. They were wrapped in rich furs, their huge canoes freighted with every convenience and luxury, and manned by Canadian voyageurs, as obedient as highland clansmen. They carried up with them cooks and bakers, together with delicacies of every kind, an abundance of choice wines, for the banquets which attended this great convocation. Happy were they, too, if they could meet with some distinguished stranger, Above all, some titled member of the British nobility to accompany them on this stately occasion and grace their high solemnities. Fort William, the scene of this important annual meeting, was a considerable village on the banks of Lake Superior. Here, in an immense wooden building, was the great council hall, as also the banqueting chamber, decorated with Indian arms and accoutrements, and the trophies of the fur trade the house swarmed at this time with traders and voyageurs some from montreal bound to the interior posts some from the interior posts bound to montreal the councils were held in great state for every member felt as if sitting in parliament and every retainer and dependent looked up to the assemblage with awe as to the house of lords there was a vast deal of solemn deliberation and hard Scottish reasoning, with an occasional swell of pompous declamation. These grave and weighty councils were alternated by huge feasts and revels, like some of the old feasts described in Highland castles. The tables in the great banqueting room groaned under the weight of game of all kinds, of venison from the woods and fish from the lakes with hunter's delicacies such as buffalo's tongues and beaver's tails, and various luxuries from Montreal, all served up by experienced cooks brought for the purpose. There was no stint of generous wine, for it was a hard-drinking period, a time of loyal toasts and bacchanalian songs, and brimming bumpers while the chiefs thus revelled in hall and made the rafters resound with bursts of loyalty and old scottish songs chanted in voices cracked and sharpened by the northern blast their merriment was echoed and prolonged by a mongrel legion of retainers canadian voyageurs half-breeds indian hunters and vagabond hangers-on who feasted sumptuously without on the crumbs that fell from their table and made the welkin ring with old french ditties mingled with indian yelps and yellings such was the Northwest company in its powerful and prosperous days when it held a kind of feudal sway over a vast domain of lake and forest we are dwelling too long perhaps upon these individual pictures endeared to us by the associations of early life when as yet a stripling youth we have sat at the hospitable boards of the mighty north the lords of the ascendant at montreal and gazed with wondering and inexperienced eye at the baronial wassailing and listened with astonished ear to their tales of hardship and adventures it is one object of our task however to present scenes of the rough life of the wilderness And we are tempted to fix these few memorials of a transient state of things, fast passing into oblivion, for the feudal state of Fort William is at an end, its council chamber is silent and deserted, its banquet hall no longer echoes to the burst of loyalty, or the old-world ditty. The lords of the lakes and forests have passed away, and the hospitable magnates of Montreal, where are they? End of chapter 1